And I'm fucking livid that we are stuck in the timeline where Alex Jones is right. Why aren't the Amish afraid of, of COVID? Because they don't have TV. As I said, democracy is a system that reinforces authoritarian ideals. I hope I don't get canceled. Being a victim of a tragedy doesn't make you an expert in public policy. But, I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of <laughs> shit. Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. <laughs> you brought a freaking guillotine. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. It wasn't making Christianity better, it was making rock worse. Uh, what the fuck do you have on your face, Olivia? You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. I remember thinking, man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, activists, shit posters, people of the internet, denizens of Twitter, and lurkers of Facebook, thank you for turning into another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. As always, I'm your host, Justin. And before we get started, just remember whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or on the radio via LRN.fm, you can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, and most of all, sharing with your friends. And if you want to join our production team because you like the content and want to help us make more of it, visit patreon.com slash O'Donnell for Liberty. Again, that's patreon.com slash O'Donnell, the number four, Liberty. And make sure to check out stickswag.com, our sponsor for Liberty Merch, where you can get all your favorite campaign swag, Liberty swag, uh, policy swag, whatever you want to do to wear your principles literally on your sleeves. And highlighting the collection this week, the Jeremy Kaufman for New Hampshire campaign swag section, including some brand new War is Gay merchandise to complement that fantastic and probably greatest political ad that's ever been released in New Hampshire politics. But head on over to snackswag.com today to grab your merchandise and check out the other collections available today. And if you want to keep in touch between shows, you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media platforms, and join our community Discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time. All these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast that you're listening to, as well as on O'Donnellforliberty.com. So check the description for that link and make sure you give it a visit today. Now, drugs, poverty, obesity, the Taliban, cryptocurrency. The United States can't seem to win a war it's picked in recent memory. And while most of these defeats have been stunning surprises and utter and embarrassing defeats for the United States government, United States military, police and law enforcement, the education system, none have been more so than the war on drugs. Not only have drugs won, but they've started fighting back with a full offensive push for legalization and decriminalization and normalization across the country. But this loss isn't one the United States government is willing to take lying down. And with each push towards the normalization and legalization of recreational drugs, such as cannabis and now psilocybin, LSD, MDMA being used for medical purposes, comes increased pressure on the behemoth of federal law enforcement to continue justifying their budgets, their existence, and their practices in the modern world. Because the very loss that they refuse to acknowledge threatens their need to exist. And when you add this to the mix, we see a regulatory environment chock full of things like mandatory minimum sentences, discretionary prosecution. What we get is a system ripe for abuse. 
And even today, when the war on drugs has undoubtedly been lost by the U.S. government, lost by the U.S. federal law enforcement agencies, and won by drugs, drug dealers, and drug users to the point where cannabis is sold in retail establishments in more states than ever imagined possible 10 years ago. America's prisons are still chock full of nonviolent offenders languishing for unnecessarily long, cruel, and unusual sentences, punishing them for the simple act of possessing something that grew in the ground, marijuana, cannabis, weed, pot, something as normal as cigarettes ever were. And tonight we're joined by someone who's soon to be among their ranks, uh, former attorney, activist, and underworld crime boss, Dan Music. Dan, thanks for joining the show. How's it going today? Yeah. Thank you, Justin. I, in candor, it's been going, it's been better in the past. Not going <laughs> super great right now. Uh, you know, TikTok, TikTok. But I appreciate you having me on. I mean, that's that was that was love. Hey, well, it, your story is something that really has to be told. And you're in a very unique position to tell your story where yeah. your trial's over, your sentence is handed down, and you have this kind of almost cruel in its own right little um, glimpse and like last grasp at freedom before you yes. have to report to federal prison. We're like, all right, take care of your affairs and then go get ready to get locked up for 60 months and nothing you can do about it in the interim. No, nothing. It's a really, really surreal feeling. It's sad on a level that I don't even think I could, you just, you couldn't convey it to anyone who hasn't been through it or maybe had an immediate loved one go through it. And it's also just so numbingly strange because you're almost like a ghost kind of haunting a simulacrum of your old life. It's like that movie, the sixth sense is what I always say. We're like, Bruce Willis doesn't know he's dead and then realize right. he is at some point. And that's kind of his denouement in the, in, in the movie. That's how this is now. I'm, I, you know, I go to some of the same places. I see some of the same people. I walk the same streets, but you know, my expiration date is nigh. I'm about to be gone. It's not forever. I understand, but I would also challenge anyone on my side of this to be, you know, rationally planning for the future. Maybe there's some like perfect man out there that could do that. Be like, well, this is just a little, you know, intermission and I'll be right back out. But it doesn't feel that way. It feels like you're going to fucking die. I mean, it feels like you're, you're on a, uh, a, a train hurtling, you know, to a Canyon basically. Yeah. It makes me think of that scene from Wolf on wall street at the very end where, uh, when Jordan Belfort is right about to go to prison, he's talking about how terrified he is, how he's thinking his whole life's falling apart. And he's like, but then I remembered I'm rich. Not everyone's rich. Not everyone has the luxury to know that they can put their entire life on hold for five years in minimum security and then just pick right back up where they left off. Yeah, no, there's definitely some people, look, not all prisoners are created equal. Some people go into a situation with a lot more resources than others. But that's one of the reasons why I've been banging this drum so hard is because, I mean, I'm fortunate. You know, I, I come from a pretty well-off family and, you know, I, I have some resources left that the government didn't purloin. But most people in my position are destitute. They go in with absolutely nothing and come out with less than nothing. You know, they come out underwater owing and under state supervision for the rest of their lives intermittently. And the other thing I'm going to say about Jordan Belfort is, you know, I love that movie too. It was super entertaining, but let's never forget about Jordan Belfort. He's a fucking rat. Right. And a, a horrible human being. I've met the guy in real life. Uh, 
my, my uh, professional background is in sales, outside sales, business, business, and business to consumer. And there was an agency I worked for at one point where the owner of the agency decided to bring Jordan Belfour in for an inspirational talk to all the agents. And uh, I spent one afternoon talking to the guy. And I'm like, this guy's a fucking piece of shit. No, he is. I mean, I mean, I mean Wolf of Wall Street's awkward. He's almost just yeah. like a cartoonishly bad person. You know, yeah. uh, and on and, and 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 as a Jew myself, he 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 takes up a lot of the negative stereotypes that we you know we, we seek to, we 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 seek to askew. A better example of it would be that Spike Lee movie Twenty Fifth Hour with Edward Norton, where he was a you know white collar drug dealer who lived in Manhattan, and Rosario Dawson was his girlfriend, and he didn't tell on anyone. You know, right. he was with an organized crime syndicate. And it was the same deal. He got indicted federally. He pled out. You know, he didn't snitch on anyone and it's his last, you know, few weeks. And then it comes down to his last day of free. You know, it covers his last day of freedom while he's out on bail. That's a, that, that, I mean, that movie is so eerie because I used to watch it when I was much younger. And I remember my little brother even telling me like, dude, you better chill or you're going to be like the guy in the 25th hour. And I'm like, yeah, no way. That's, that's <laughs> stupid. I sell weed. Like I had like a couch full of heroin, but here I am. Same shit. I almost huh. went to Otisville too, where he went. I literally bailed out of going to Otisville at the last second. I had all like the rabbinical because Otisville is known as the Jewish camp. It's where all, all Jews from New York go. And I actually have friends up there now for weed. One of my really good friends, actually he's one of the only non-Jewish guys in the camp. He's an Italian guy named Bobby Capelli from uh, New Haven. And he got caught with a Cessna. Uh, the, the, the pilot of a Cessna flipped landing in Connecticut and him and his uh, cohorts got jammed and he got fucked. He got three more years on the same charge I did. He got a thousand kiloed, which is 10 to life. He took it to trial, beat the a thousand, uh, purposely lost on the a hundred, conceded the a hundred, thought he was going to get five. Then they came back and smashed him for eight. But he's up at Otisville. So I was going to go up there so I could chill with him because I also heard Otisville is pretty sweet as far as they go. But then um, the First Step Act came into play, which means you can get out if you go to certain camps sooner. So I start, I, I took everything I had and pushed it to try and go to Morgantown, which I is mean, if you can get out, you can get out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Morgantown's also like our it's kind of like our home federal prison for Pittsburgh Street guys. Fair so, enough. And well, speaking of like being a Pittsburgh Street guy, like. Um, I made the joke titling the episode "Are You Guilty?" based off like some of the old videos you did as a lawyer, and um, like the big articles, like making fun of you or poking at you uh, that I'd stumbled across when reading up on your cases. Like "Are You Guilty?" was like something everyone kept coming back to. Uh, I loved your response to it. It's like, by the way, I'm guilty as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't decline deny that at all. You don't like hide from the fact at all. You embrace no, everything you did. I, pl- I pled out like 60 days after I got indicted. Yeah. Most people stay on indictment for years, years. Yeah. You know, it, most people, it takes them three years before they even go to prison after they get indicted. Federal cases are fucking endless, dude. Endless. Right. No, I'm, I'm guilty as fuck. I, so like the way I, I never, I never didn't take responsibility for what I did. You know, like I even said it in my sentencing, in my sentencing, I said, I I said I, I refuse to pass responsibility onto anyone else. I stand on what I did like a man. I don't agree with the law, but to me, an abrogation of personal responsibility is fundamentally un-American. I literally said that to my judge at my sentencing, basically being like, 
I know this is bullshit. You know this is bullshit. But on pure principle, I'm not ratting on anybody, and I did what I did. So you're gonna have to give me what the law says. You have to give me. That's one of the most like American things I've ever heard said in a courtroom, and it's yeah. incredible. Uh, and it's an incredibly principled way to go about things. I think what's really interesting here, though, is like your story of how you got to that point. Like we can all agree, I agree that it shouldn't have been illegal in the first place. Like nonviolent crimes, uh, crimes that do not have a victim shouldn't be illegal anyways, and it shouldn't carry any of these penalties under the law anyways, because the only actual crime here is the United States government classifying those who engage in business in competition with the government as criminals. So it can punish the competition. But like, how did you get to that point? Like how did, how, how does one go from like law school to crime boss? Well, the thing was that the most aberrant thing I ever did in my life was go to law school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so to rewind it, while I do come from a privileged, highly educated, upper class Jewish family, and I grew up in a, you know, in a Jewish enclave called Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, it's also in the city. So it's kind of this weird juxtaposition or dichotomy where it's simultaneously like a really nice neighborhood, but it's also an ethnic neighborhood in the city. So like any ethnic neighborhood in the city, it's going to have a lot of shopkeepers, small business owners, doctors, teachers, lawyers, accountants, professors, whatever. And it's also going to have a small uh, underworld there, you know, or, or, or even a mid-sized or large underworld where there's going to be a lot of guys who grew up in the neighborhood who generationally hustled. And it was that way since prohibition, there were Jewish bootleggers, there, mm -hmm. numbers guys, and, you know, all, and then, you know, around the sixties and the seventies, drugs became the prevalent racket in the underworld. And there were always just guys in squirrel Hill that sold a fuck ton of weed and other non-harmful drugs. I mean, other stuff too, but you know, psychedelics, mushrooms, acid, and, and a lot of marijuana, and it was something that kind of got handed down, sometimes inside a family, not mine. I'm the only street guy. That's not true. My cousin's also a super street guy, but he he wasn't in this particular equation. He was younger than me and lived out of state at the time. But, um, you know, it gets handed down from family to family or, you know, older friend to younger friend, whatever, so that, you know, there was a guy before me. There was a guy before him. It's just one of those things, you know, it's like uh, – the guy, the way, the, the way guys in Little Italy, like you know, have like they would like run errands for mobsters and take bets right. and do stuff like that. Like me and my friends would hang out on the corner, and we were really into hip hop too, like underground hip hop. So guys would be like break dancing and tagging and freestyling, and then also at the same time, you would see the older guys pull through, just like good a new millennium Goodfellas in the cars with the hot girls and they had a shit ton of money and they're like four or five years older than you. They're Jewish too. And you're like, wow, fuck man. Like <laughs> just that, that same, you know, that same instant idolization that happened. And, you know, and, and like, and I saw it happen again with me when I became the guy, it was so fucking weird. I'd be walking down the main street in my neighborhood, Murray Avenue. And he, the exact same thing from the kids, you know what I mean? Like, fuck, yo, there's dose. You know, because then it's it was I, I was wearing the crown at that point. So actually, you know, I did a lot of other stuff. Like I went around the world as like a touring underground hip hop artist. Mm -hmm. Like I wrote for like music magazines. I kind of did the bohemian thing for a long time, too. I wasn't really strictly financially focused my entire life. And then I tried to go to law school. Well, I went to law school. I shouldn't have gone, but I did to be a criminal defense attorney because I figured, you know, I'm loquacious and I suck at te technical stuff. So it seemed like a decent way to earn a living. But that lure of uh, selling weed 
always pulled me back. That, that was really what I was really good at and what I really liked doing. And that was where my friend base was too. Cause even at college in Philadelphia, same deal. I was around a lot of streetwise Jews who sold a fuck ton of weed. And I put in a lot of time just kind of learning game from them. You know, like you put in your 10,000 hours at something, it's really hard to drop that and, and go do something else. Right. And like, let's be honest, like criminal defense is one of the most noble professions a lawyer can have. Like I hate lawyers. Like I, there are very few lawyers I've ever interacted with where I come out saying, hey, they're just generally decent person. But like criminal defense is something, one of the most noble professions I think somebody can have. Okay. If you're going to have a profession that interfaces and interacts with government, which me as an anarchist, I don't believe should exist in the first place. Defending people from the overreach of that government seems like a pretty normal place for someone who wants to maybe look at the light of the end of the tunnel getting out of the street rat race to end up yeah no i agree i mean the it's just a really difficult game for a lot of reasons one is that as you said you're the sole you you hit the nail on the head you're the sole private actor that interfaces with government like when you're in the courtroom the clerical staff the bailiff the cops the prosecutors and the judge are all government employees they're all part of that monolith. And then you are literally the sole private actor there. <clears throat> and then, you know, public defenders too, who they, you know, they get paid by the public, but they, they function in the same way. Everyone else there is on one side, you're on the other side. So yeah, it's an oppositional job, but it's not an equal oppositional job. Literally everyone there, you know, the, the system smirkingly says it has impartiality, blind justice with the scales, whatever. We all know that's fucking horseshit. Everyone knew that. That was one of the bases for my commercial was to completely just pop a hole in that fucking balloon you know, for everyone to see, which is why it went viral. And people thought people wouldn't have thought it was so funny if it wasn't true. Like things that, I mean, I, you know, we, we, we saw the imbroglio at the Oscars or whatever. Why did, you know, why, why did Will Smith react the way he did? Because his Chris Rock's joke had some truth to it. it. Might not have been a good joke, might not have been an opportune joke. That's to anyone's opinion. But if it had been completely off, if it hadn't like, you know, obviously flicked a nerve, he wouldn't have hopped out of his seat and bitch smacked him. So, hey, well, I mean, my tinfoil hat moment for the day here um, just happened to be utterly conveniently that this morning, two days after the whole country was reminded that alopecia is a thing, Pfizer announced their phase three clinical trials on a brand new groundbreaking drug to treat alopecia. Wonder how many people in Congress own stock? Almost all of them. But I, I if, if, here's the thing: is like if there's a congressman that doesn't own stock in Pfizer at this point, after two years of COVID bullshit, then they're just stupid, and I wouldn't want them as a congressman, anyways. Right? Yeah, you like, got. Yeah, you, you got. You got. Got to get on the winning. Got to get on the winning team at some point. Um, but yeah, so like I, I um, yeah, I, I, I wanted to defend people from the depredations of an overreaching government. I realized a bunch of things coming out of school, one of which was I was coming out into the most regressive legal marketplace, probably in American history, you know, because there was the 09 financial collapse. And then there was such a, uh, a strangulation on legal jobs that were coming through. By the time I got out of law school, our dean got fired because career services were giving people leads on jobs to like hand out nightclub flyers. <laughs> yeah, that was one of them. Like there were people, dude, there were people like escorting in like my law class. There were people like working at the Apple store, like when they graduated, it was fucking bad. Like, so like we were the generation where that whole, you know, take on massive amounts of debt, 
go through all this bullshit, but you'll yep. get the professional career. It, in 09, that 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 thing went off the cliff like Thelma and Louise. I mean, that it was it was over. So I came out into that marketplace and I realized I needed to showcase myself in a way. And I had no legal acumen or skills because I had just become a fucking lawyer a few months before. So the only thing I had was, you know, some balls, uh, some criminal friends. And because of rapping and stuff, I knew how to like make quick videos and get in front of a camera. So yeah. I did that and I it, it exceeded, succeeded and exceeded beyond my wildest dreams. And then actually ended up almost like a... Uh, weird plot device in a bad movie coming back to destroy me like a decade later. Yeah. And, uh, for anybody watching who hasn't seen the video, um, it, it is crazy. Let's just take a look at it. Okay. Well, we, like, here? Well, okay. That, so that's yeah. my, so guy in the North face jacket, that's my boy, BZ, BZ, bad rock, BZ. He's a graffiti writer and a rapper. He works in the legal cannabis industry right now. Super legend, a Sephardic Jew from San Francisco. Awesome guy. Uh, the guy he's talking to right there is Doc. He's also a graffiti writer and a street guy. He was unfortunately murdered uh, a few years ago. The guy hugging him, that is my cousin. He's Jewish, too. You got two Jews in the commercial now. Three street guys. My cousin just did an eight key. These guys are Wiz Khalifa bodyguards. The guy on the left is Big Lawn. Does cookies jujitsu, like cookies meat brand jujitsu. This dude's my boy Joe Boots. He's a war hero. The uh, 28th Infantry Division. That's BZ again. I sold a lot of weed out of this apartment. That was my money counter. I just love the idea of like. This is my cousin reing himself up. Like he was so all right, so this guy right here, this is the legendary Dale. This guy was a left wing terrorist who um when the steel mills went out in the seventies and the eighties, him and his friends literally started like attacking like the guys who were sending the jobs overseas and doing shit like blowing up banks and like barricading themselves inside houses. He then kind of went on that like big Lebowski esque arc where he went to seed and ended up becoming like a freebasing whoremonger living in a van down by the river. By the time I was in law school, we have three rivers. There's plenty of places to park a van. So like when I was in law school, he was the superintendent. Uh, I I just don't think they couldn't evict him in my, in my base, in the basement apartment of the apartment house I lived in. So what you just saw that back apartment house, when you saw me on Thaddeus's thing, talking about the store, the trap, this is the guy I started the store with, and we blew the store up into multi-million dollar business. Me and this lunatic. And that is the store. The backyard there, that's where the door of the store is. That guy discovered was Khalifa. That's my Jewish boy from uh, Coral Hill, Chakra. Consequences. They sure suck, don't they? America was built on freedom. I just love the honesty of people with more money than you. Like, that's the craziest part. It's like, it's just honest. It's like, laws are arbitrary. The laws are arbitrary. Who gives a shit about the laws? It's like, you committed the crime. I'm not here to say you didn't commit the crime. I'm here to help you avoid the arbitrary consequences. 100%. That's that's, that's it. I'm not, I'm not here to be. I'm, I'm not your priest. I'm not your social worker. I'm not here for moralism. I'm your guy. Like you can yeah. tell me what's going on. A lot of this was because one of the things I realized was it's really hard as an attorney to get a rapport with your clients 
because in an urban environment, most of your clients are like younger guys of color and the attorneys are like these old baby boomers. And like right. the clients don't trust them. They're like, I don't even want to fucking tell you what the real truth is about this case because I feel like you're half a rat anyways, the right. lawyer. So it's like, it's, it's almost like, I feel like you were just kind of ahead of your time with the Better Call Saul and fucking uh, Breaking Bad vibes of a lawyer. Like No, 100%. And people are always like, oh, he's like Better Call Saul. I'm like, okay, actually a lawyer, actually Jewish, actually a criminal. Right. Like, I, got him, I got him beat on three, hitting, running, throwing. I can do them all. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I mean, it's. And that really is what pissed them off is like your time as a lawyer pissed them off more than any of the drug dealing you did, any of the actual laws you broke yes. or any of the crime you engaged in. It yes. was how you approached the profession of law mm -hmm. that pissed off the people in that profession. Yeah, 100 percent, because I had absolutely no respect for hidebound, moribund institutions for institutions sake i was like fuck your institutions i realized that i knew that criminal law was a bad joke that's why me making a bad joke commercial for criminal law resonated because again back to my my whole thing about the whole oscar situation if it wasn't true it wouldn't provoke a reaction you know like if someone says something to you if someone says something to you that has like that that is so far off the joke doesn't land the reason people thought it was funny and the reason that people got so offended by it was there's a group of people whose entire, not just paycheck, but their entire identity is tied up inside a fundamentally corrupt and abusive institution. So they have no, fascists don't have a sense of humor. They don't, they can't. There's no such thing as a fascist sense of humor. It can't exist. Yeah. You know? Well, it, it if it did, it's certainly not understandable to anybody who's not a fascist. Yeah, 100%. Well, so so you want to see a fascist sense of humor? The sentencing memo was their attempt at being funny. Which even as I'm literally like in court being sentenced to five years in prison, I'm like, lame fuck, dude. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not funny. <laughs> like, you're not. You know I mean? Like, you're not. Like, I threw that shit up on Twitter and it went fucking viral. They were getting trashed for that shit, like literally around the world. Like, people from other countries were chiming in, like, God, this is fucking dumb, you know? But, but it's par for the course. I mean, you're expecting honesty and integrity from, like, people inside America's legal profession where, like, the the most well-known cop, prosecutor, like, attorney in the country right now is the vice president, Kamala Harris, who, like, ascended to the vice presidency on a track record of abuse of power and being corrupt as an attorney and a district attorney and wrongfully prosecuting people and putting people in prison for excessive sentences for minor crimes. Yeah, definitely. Like, and then and, the culture and, of policing and, and, and then blatantly pandering. And this is where the no pardons, no votes thing comes in. Right. Then blatantly pandering to the democratic base when it came, when, when it, when 2020 rolled around and they all realized the strategists, Oh, younger you know people 40 and under they really don't like the war on drugs like, oh shocker but you know they so they finally had that meeting where they finally showed them enough pie charts and graphs that they realized that so right. then they, you know so then she's on like you know like all the morning hip-hop shows like charlemagne the god and shit like that like all the stuff on hot 97 with angie martinez and all them like talking about how she used to listen to hip-hop in college and smoke weed I'm like, I'm like, this is such fucking bullshit. Which you know, we're both like, she might have smoked weed, but you know she wasn't listening to hip hop in college because I, I think I remember like 
the real thing that pissed people off. She talked about smoking weed when I forget what song it was when it first came out, listening to it in the radio in her dorm room and just jamming out with her friend. And people were like, the week that song came out, she was prosecuting a death row case on fraudulent uh, evidence. And when the uh, defense Whoops. moved to admit exonerary evidence, she crushed it. Right. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Like, yeah i mean it's just you know blatant blatant pandering and i see this too from i will at least give joe no that's not true i'll at least give joe biden this he only lied once about how he was okay with weed for his entire career he's wanted to like literally give people the death penalty for having a fucking joint and then one debate when he was getting his fucking ass handed to him by cory booker and bernie sanders on it in the primary that's when he fucked up and basically said the basis for our movement no pardons no votes which was he's like i don't think anyone should be in prison for marijuana jack come on man you know Wecker should get expunged completely wiped out man you know that and you could see Cory Booker looking at him when he said it. He's like, you lying motherfucker. Like, he knew. You know, he's, he's the guy who literally wrote the law. Yeah, he's like, the guy who literally wrote the law. I'll give him credit. He only lied once. So so for for, for an establishment Democrat, I mean, that's honestly like St. Peter and St. Paul, I guess. You know, like that is, that is the standard of veracity. The rest of these people, especially Democrats, because, again, Republicans are pretty consistent about the fact there are some libertarian Republicans like Rand Paul that are like, I would legalize everything. And then there's the guys, you know, there's other ones, you know, kind of in the middle of the caucus, whatever, where they're like, yeah, for business, I would do this, whatever, particularly Republicans. I understand. I understand the financial motive. I get it. I was like I was a mobster. So I understand doing things in an organized fashion to make money. So if you're if you're a Republican and your state has a legal pot industry, then you're going to at a certain point make concessions for that legal pot industry. The Democrats fucking kill me, though, because they will literally, you know, make jokes about smoking weed and do stuff on 420 and pose outside pot stores for photo ops and go meet people from the pot community. And then they turn right back around the next day and then go meet with their other, you know, unions they're beholden to like police and prosecutors and COs and stuff like that. Because with the Democrats, their triangulation for their tent is for them to win they need cops and prosecutors, which, you know, cops, people don't realize this, particularly, you know, your largest, most people in America live in cities and urban areas. You know, like New Hampshire is atypical where it's a, it's a, you know, yeah. less populous state. And there, I mean, there is like Concord and Portsmouth, but it's not, it's not the way other states are where there's not a mega city. So most people now live inside or just outside a mega city. And most police departments by number, it's the cities that have the most police. So if you're urban and live in that area, you're usually in your union, you're usually a Democrat. Right. So and the prosecutors are all Democrats now, too, the, especially in the city, you know, like like federal prosecutors, they all live in urban areas. Most of them over they all went to law school and most of them are, you know, increasingly under 50, under 45. The line, the ones who do the cases in the court, they're all Democrats, too. So. Biden needs those people and the Democratic senators and governors and congressmen and women. They need those people. But then they also need people like me and my friends. So they've been trying to, like, basically herd these cats into one fucking bath for the last 10 years. And it's worked sometimes. But now it's kind of fraying because you are literally having the difference is that the, I mean, the difference is like you and your friends. While being like the inner city, typical historical Democratic voting base, like the 
believes in like some democratic values and maybe some social social welfare programs and caring about your neighbors and caring about people you don't like the policing systems no, and not at all. the systems that are put in place specifically to oppress you to keep you poor to force you into a black market where you don't have any recourse in a court system for competition and the, the only recourse that the, the big problem with the drug trade right now is that the only recourse uh for disputes in the drug trade is violence and what ross ulbrich really went to prison for wasn't for hosting a website that facilitated mass drug sales because more drugs are sold on facebook every day than were ever sold on silk road it's because he was the first person to take violence out of the drug trade yeah he made a paradigm that was so efficient in its brilliance that the government realized they were going to have a serious problem on their hands i mean he was disrupting He literally disrupted the criminal justice system by making that marketplace. And in doing so, by eliminating middlemen and by eliminating or you know, most middlemen and by eliminating uh, a lot of unpredictability in the marketplace, he created this platform, this forum, this venture, this venue that completely flipped the streets on its head. I mean, you still see it to this day. I mean, I look. The, the 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 street level guys I know that sell weed, like the guys who are, you know, like like straight trappers where they grab 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 pounds, bust them down. They got a couple apartments going with guys working. They go and hit people off in the city all day, make their drops, collect their money. I mean, they're no they're they're no fan of Ulbrich's uh, child either because they're like, this guy is fucking killing us. You know, because now as an individual user, you can click, 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 click. And then it just appears at your house. You know, and I, you know, it's, it's, so it's, it's funny, you know, it's like the economic modality of it, it. I, I respect the efficiency because I was an old school guy. I didn't do shit over the internet. I literally, you know, we had phys- no, no, nope. no mail, no growing. We had physical locations. We controlled territory. We had neighborhoods. We had stores like secret stores and wholesale distribution locations. We did it very old school, hand to hand. Yeah, it, there's always there's always going to be hand to hand in any market. It's even no, we could, there's still a Silk Road. It's not called Silk Road anymore, but there's still Dream Market. There's still Al Bazaar. There's still all these other tour sites where you can do everything you used to be able to do on Silk Road. They never actually shut down the Onion Network. They never shut down Tour. They just shut down Ross Ulbricht. Uh, yeah, they, didn't, they, they they smashed him for making it. They they made an example out of him right. in an attempt to deter any future kingpin. That might come his way where, where him and I kind of diverge is that like I'm like the last or one of the last of my kind. Like you're not going to see. And again, someone could watch this and be like, well, that's bullshit. I got a shit ton of weed in my house right now. And a bunch <laughs> of customers. God bless you. If you do, man, stay the fuck away from the cops. Remember that your friends are probably going to rat on you. Just stay safe. That's all I'm going to say. But, you know, for me, like there I'm one of the I was one of the last of the Mohicans. There's not going to be many other vertically integrated urban marijuana bosses like in major american cities like i was i'm like i'm like the if you ever saw that movie ghost dog we were like the mafia and the chinese restaurant at the end you know what I mean? like, <laughs> like like there were, look there were a shit ton of guys before me i knew there wasn't going to really be many after so so how can the democrats even try like how can anybody how can libertarians try how can republicans try how can democrats try how can anybody try and bring together a voting base like yours which doesn't just encompass the dealers and the entrepreneurs and um the actual people working in the underground in in organized crime but also the users and the everyday people who live in those communities and understand that it's happening and understand the benefits and consequences of it in their communities bring them together with the police 
who by their very nature need you to be villainized to justify their own existence. Yeah, absolutely. And prosecutors, which again, there's, I mean, there's more, there's, there's way more prosecutors than one would think, but because, you know, lawyers form the backbone of any organized American political party, you know, like they're like, they're not the Politburo, like in the Soviet Union, but they're like the car carrying like apparatchiks, you know what I mean? Like, like, right. like that's lawyers are the activist base. They're the committee men, the committee women, the select men, the alder women, whatever. So they also need those prosecutors because without them, I mean, you know, they're the people that honestly, and you can look in New Hampshire, I bet you it's the same thing. The, they keep the, the two-party political system well-oiled. It's on both sides comprised of, you know, the middle management is all and, and potential candidate pool are all lawyers. So you can't like, you know, they're well, like, uh, you know, if, if Biden's a king and the senators are dukes, they're like the barons. So it's like you can't story. really piss them off. Here's what makes New Hampshire unique and a little bit different. And you pointed it out on Twitter earlier. Um, like your organization uh, pardons now, like people are coming to New Hampshire and New Hampshire is a place where like legislative and political and criminal justice change stands a chance of happening organically because our legislature and our political system is so different in New Hampshire than the rest of the country. Sure. We have a handful of lawyers in our state legislature. We also have some dog groomers. We have uh, some store like people who work part-time at a grocery store like our state reps are unpaid and there's 400 of them and they represent tiny little districts so there's right. so many people like there was a big story a few years back where a republican state rep got arrested for dealing weed in the state house to other state reps right because he needed to make some money yeah okay. because he wasn't being paid to go to the state house that day so oh. he brought a bunch of inventory and was making sales literally on the house floor right they didn't arrest anybody who bought weed from him because it was decriminalized all right, right. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I i i hate that you knock a guy in america for having a second job it's a fucking shame right or even if it was his only job it's yeah. a job it's providing yeah. value to people if yeah. there wasn't a demand it wouldn't be a job no 100 percent. i mean that's that's the you know it it it, it blows my mind that and, and that's the thing, too, like marijuana is so dominant now and so widespread and so proliferated that my biggest problem before I got indicted by the feds, we didn't even like think about the cops. I mean, honestly, our main thing, I mean, not that we weren't concerned. People would get taken out. There were there would be cases, whatever. We were more concerned with competition because it was just, you know, jungle law, no holds barred, pure capitalist marketplace with absolutely no restrictions you just literally made the best woman or man win. That's it. You know, so so my my main focus was on literally trying to dominate and control a marketplace through innovation and pricing and 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 just brute force, basically hard work. And then, you know, then the fucking government wrecking ball comes in for no reason and deprives us of our livelihood and our freedom to prove a point to me about exercising my First Amendment rights. Yeah, it, it, it's wild and it's crazy. Um, but I mean, the good thing that's come out of it, I guess, is your movement. And so like no pardons, no votes is sprung up out of the, tell me the best way there. Like, did, did they exist before your case? No. Did you help them get started? Like, well, no, I, I did, I did help yeah. them get started. So what happened was I was sitting out as I am now on bond in this, you know, fugue state of depression and misery. 
I'm doing as much media as I possibly can, which is against the advice of my attorneys who wanted me just to tuck up like baby boomer style and like hold a newspaper over my face as I ran out <laughs> of the courtroom every time. But I was going to go out like, uh, you know, like uh, my Pope John Gotti II, you know, mm-hmm. with, a, with a smirk on my face and, and, two, and, you know, two middle fingers up. So I started doing as much media as I could, explaining honestly my story. And this thing too is like, I can verify it all too. Like when people hit me up, if they're like, well, show me this, I send them like a trove of court documents, videos, whatever. <laughs> like I've, I, here's the thing, I ain't telling anyone. So I have nothing to hide. I'm one right. of the five to 7% of federal defendants who don't cooperate. Because literally nine out of 10 of these dudes are fucking rats. I'm not. So because of that, what happened was in Pittsburgh, I'd already kind of been like a borderline folkloric figure because of the commercial and the underground rapping. And it was an open secret that I was also like the biggest weed dealer in the entire part of the country. So, I, you know, people, people fucked with me. They liked me. And I was always nice to people, too. I wasn't violent. I was never an asshole. I never gave people the high hat, acted like I was better than anyone. I tried genuinely to help people out and be a decent human being when people saw me be a man of respect and honor. One of my friends, uh, Daniel Morath, who's at Yale Law right now, and he ran Massachusetts for Bernie in 2020. And he's a he's gotten some people elected to uh, state rep, judicial positions locally. He's, you know, for being as young as he is, he's a really savvy political strategist. He just kind of snapped when he 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 saw this. And this is again, this is a guy who is it's it's a pretty inspiring story, really, because this is a guy who is, you know, on his way, should he want to, to the C suite on K Street in DC corner office. You know, he already has worked in serious campaigns for the Dems. He ran a state for Bernie. He was like 28 years old. You know, he's in Yale Law right now. I mean, this is a guy literally who can go to K Street, Park Avenue, whatever. And he just hit me up one day and said, you know, this is absolute fucking bullshit. I'm so enraged because he knew that I had been a reliable uh, donor to numerous campaigns previously <laughs> during, dur- during, during my reign. So... You know, one way to know. launder money. What? It's one way to launder money. Donate it to a politician. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I saw it. I saw it more as just I, I like the people and I thought that they could yeah. do good. And I wanted to, you know, I was social, I was socially minded. Even right. like, you could be a socially minded crook. Like that. Only, <laughs> only the cops and the government would tell you that you couldn't, that a crook's a detriment to the community. That's, I mean, that's the main thing, I guess. Daniel knew me and knew that I was a benefit to the community, that I wasn't just some asshole wrapping myself up in the cloak of a political movement. Now that I was in trouble, I'd always tried to help people out previously. Now I needed help. And he really kind of snapped. He was like, fuck this shit. And he thought about it. And then we kind of bounced ideas off each other. And we realized that to do things, cause you know, like, look, like, like cards on the table. I, you know, I know you're like libertarian anar- anarchist. You know, like we were progressive Democrats, progressive urban Jewish Democrats at the, the fact that I was a street guy and a weed kingpin, that didn't change that. That's just how I was. So was he. But we thought, we were like, you know what? Two things. One, we've been fucking had. I realized it. I know it's dumb that it took me getting indicted yep. to realize that I've been fucking had. Two, that the traditional way of doing this, which would have been like going to all of the other high-achieving, meritocratic power adjacent democratic functionaries our age that you meet in law school and basically like uh, kowtowing kowtowing you know bowing to them begging them to help us or sending emails out trying to get sympathy like whatever that it wasn't going to work they people didn't give a fuck 
that now I was disposable. I was no longer convenient. And that made him angry, honestly, angrier than I was. So we were like, okay, well, how do we actually get our voices heard here? Because Biden made the fucking promise. It's not like we're hitting Biden up out of nowhere and being like, hey, we really want you to part us. I mean, we'd have every right to do so, but he's the one who said it. And a lot of people voted here. A lot of people voted here because they knew what was up with me in 2020. And they, they saw that and they thought, okay, this is a chance to save dose. And I'm serious because Biden is not a guy who commanded a lot of loyalty. I mean, me and my friends, we were literally a hundred percent, thousands of us, Bernie, 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 Bernie down the line. If anyone was voting, they were voting for Bernie. Nobody fucking wanted Biden. So why did anyone, anyone who knew me and wasn't uh, invested in the political process for another reason, they voted because they were like, all right, one of my main motivations is this dude said that he wasn't going to fuck with anyone over weed. That could help out not just Dose, but all my other bros that are in trouble for weed. So they did. We did. We voted in the swingiest part of one of the swingiest states in the country. He won, promptly reneges. Promptly, you know, takes the crown and gives it back to the prosecutors and the cops and and those unions. And, you know, me and Daniel realized this and uh, while I'm on bond and we're just bouncing ideas off each other. And we're like, you know what, man? Like, we're going to have to commit an act of vandalism to get a maintenance call to this apartment building. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's one way to put it. What I worry about, like, when I look at it, like, taking the pledge, no pardons, no votes, like, refusing to vote. Uh, in the midterm election unless the pardons are granted it like that honestly terrifies me because it tells people not to go out vote not to have their voice heard and weird enough for me to say even as an anarchist like i just look at the data and i look at historical election data where low low turnout elections especially when the low turnout is younger people historically helps incumbents like regardless of policy and position, incumbents tend to get reelected in larger majorities during low turnout elections when younger voters don't turn out than they do in any other circumstance. And it scares me that like someone like Biden's political strategist, where it's not, it's Biden's not the one up for reelection here. Um, it's Biden's cronies down the ticket and the Republicans who don't want to pardon you anyways. Who like if you're not going to go and vote for the progressive. Um, candidate who supports the pardons against a Republican who might would not do it regardless, it, it could just they could see the whole thing as saying, Oh, well, we win either way. I understand that there's some risk of it. I would yeah. temper that with these two things. One, I'm hoping that this isn't the case that the Democrats right. do, and this is what and you know, it's funny because you know, you're you're not a Democrat, so Democrats say no. this to me all the time, and I'm like, See, by, and they say the exact same thing you just said. And I say, see, you have already proven that I was right about what I thought about the party and especially established right. Democrats. Because what you're basically saying is you're like, when you get ignored, when the Democrats say, fuck you to, the, to, to, right. to, the younger, to their younger base, and they're like, you better vote, you fucking dumb idiot kids. And then the kids don't vote. Then this is going to happen. Like, it's a foregone conclusion to you as an educated outside <laughs> observer of the Democratic Party that they're not going to listen to us. Right. At all. Okay. Like- 
So, so I guess and that's on both sides of the aisle. That's not exclusive to Democrats either. Right. The okay. Republicans yeah. don't do it to their motivated base, their liberty leaning conservative base either. Like they just they stick to the establishment and find a way to tell their base to get fucked. Right. So that 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 is true. Um, I will say that I think the Democrats are so egregious in it now, probably just because of the size of the tent, the way how far they have to walk away from the left to go middle now right is like you know it, it's the gap is yawning so i'll say this one i'm hoping that's not the case i'm hoping democrats that that the elected leaders act right and go with the will of the people because this isn't a fringe thing this is something that a i mean it's a super majority of americans if you go to democrats you're talking 90 some percent now i mean mm-hmm. you would have to literally send out a search party with a fucking helicopter to find a democrat that doesn't want this to happen so, you know, hopefully they would just hew to the will of the small plurality of 97% of their fucking voters right. and back this. So that's one. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen. They do what they're supposed to do and they avert this. Two, I would say, yeah, low turnout elections tend to favor the incumbent historically. But I think that you also can understand in some ways or maybe maybe you agree, maybe you don't. I think that we are in um, we're not exactly on terra firma in terms of political history now. And <laughs> we're so purple in a lot of these states, because that's the thing, like, you know, I, I'm in Western PA where it's been it is knife's edge. It really is. Eastern Ohio, knife's edge. Some of the you know, a lot of these places that are essential for the Democrats are knife's edge. And they are filled with people like me, like you that are so sick of the power structure as is just want, even if they don't identify as libertarian, they might not identify as Democrat either. They're just so fucking sick of the way things are. And they want the freedom to live in peace and not be bothered. They want a lot of other things too. But one of the main things they want is that I think that it, it is in, in some places it's going to favor the incumbents, but those are places the incumbents were going to win anyways. I think this is a way to make the Democrat national establishment howl because you have all of these basically like I call, you know, it's funny because I started borrowing conservative terminology. I call them cucks. You have these fucking cuck <laughs> Democrats who are, you know, former prosecutors and stuff like that yeah. running in these super purple districts and they refuse to take any stands on anything criminal justice related or anything that would identify them as a Democrat, you know, because one thing I appreciate about any political party is honestly, or any ideology is if you, cause that's how I am. If you really walk your talk, I can respect it. Even if I don't agree with you, you know, like, like I, I even if I don't agree with all of your, absolutely until he, until he made the decision to run for president, Bernie Sanders was one of the few people in Congress I had any amount of respect for because that motherfucker would stand up on the house floor during a gun control vote and say, I support this bill and I have to vote against it because my constituents in Vermont do not support it. Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, like an honest guy, you know? Right. So I, I appreciate honesty, you know, and sticking to one's convictions, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, there is no more of a fucking Gumby, silly putty Plato person mm-hmm than that uh, centrist Democratic candidate, that new centrist Democratic candidate who's about my age. They're pro-war, pro-police, pro-prison, but then somehow also, you know, then like go into the inner city and attempt to, you know, pander to get those votes, go to college campuses, pander for those votes. 
the no pardons, no votes is really a wrecking ball for them more than anyone because it's basically saying to them, and a lot of these guys, you know, they're the darlings of the new party. So it's right. saying to them, basically, if you don't take a stand that's in line with, especially the voters your age and your party, like dog, you're 42 years old, like a 42 year old registered Democrat in this urban area that you're running in or suburban area that you're running in does not want anyone to do a day in jail for weed. Doesn't matter if it's a tanker full of weed. Doesn't matter if it is a fucking Lichtenstein full of weed. They don't want anyone to go to jail for it. Do you have the the stones as a woman or man to back this? Yes or no? And if they're like, no, I mean, you're exactly the person that we want to hurt. And I really do think that in as narrow a paradigm as we are, because that's the thing about Daniel is, Daniel's a he's a quant you know he's a true political guy a strategist he knows about every district doing this and yielding that and getting there he's the one who did the math and was like man if we go up to New Hampshire and we can peel off like six to eight thousand Democrats then we are gonna fuck them up like they're 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 gonna be yelling they are so uh, I, I think what a lot of people don't realize about like what makes might set New Hampshire apart from the rest of the country in this matter too is like if you can peel off six to eight thousand democrats in new hampshire and this isn't necessarily the case in ohio or pennsylvania or michigan or other swing states where you're basically guaranteeing a seat to a republican if you do it if you do it in new hampshire you're pretty much guaranteeing a seat to a republican who there's a 90 percent chance agrees with you and will support pardoning nonviolent yeah. drug offenders because republicans in new hampshire are not like Republicans in the rest of the country. No, they're not. It's like, it's a breed, it's it's a, it's it's a breed apart. I mean, and they're they're they hew much closer to the pure libertarian principles, or like you right. know, straight white eyes. You know what I mean? No blue, no red. The white with the eye in it. As we get in trouble. To, I get I get in trouble in arguments with libertarians online all the time. With like, what the hell is the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire doing? Why are they so radical and so crazy? I'm like. Do you know how hard it is to set yourself apart from Republicans when they're already saying the libertarian platform? Right. <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's a, yeah, yeah, it's 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 the pure it's the pure libertarian. It's it's funny because again, there's less of a difference between a very liberal Democrat from a major like a major urban area and your positions on stuff, and also like what you do, like selling acid and like you're into firearms and shit like that. Like, that's definitely me and all my friends although i can no longer own a firearm for the rest of my life and i can't have any acid around right now either because i don't have any fourth amendment rights but you know in normal times you know that would that would, it's really like 1159 and 1201 on the clock right like right like, like they're, they're 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 really really close i have a lot more in common with you guys than i do with the establishment of my own party clearly right. because the establishment of my own party are the prosecutors who put me in jail Whereas, like, even the establishment Democrats in New Hampshire, they're still establishment Democrats. Um, And we just had this. It was a great example. uh, State Rep. Tony LeBranch, a very young kid. uh, He had submitted a bill to legalize mushrooms here in New Hampshire, which, again, is something that's almost universally accepted by Democrats, progressives, and libertarians across the country as the next step in in ending the war on drugs. It's like marijuana. Like, we've won that fight for the most part. Like at the state level, it's pretty much a one fight. The federal level is a whole different ball game. Um, Mar- uh, mushrooms is the next step. And 
before he went into the House session, there was like universal support from Democrats for his bill to legalize mushrooms in New Hampshire. There was like a 50-50 on the Republican side because all the libertarians were like, yeah, we'll support that. And it looked like it was going to pass the House. And everyone's like, wow, New Hampshire might become the first state to just straight up legalize mushrooms and do it in a bipartisan manner. And then Tony got mad in a little argument with an establishment Democrat leader, uh, made a little announcement, said he was no longer a Democrat and he was going to become an independent. And then not a single Democrat voted for his bill. Womp, womp. <laughs> womp, 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 womp. Damn, yeah. man. This close. Yeah. This close All the Republicans voted stores. for it. <laughs> this close to shroom stores. Fuck. Yeah. No, it was better. His bill regulated mushrooms the same as tomatoes. They would it wouldn't be like stores or anything like that. No, like farm stands on the side of the road. Yeah, home grow unrestricted, like no license, no prescription, nothing. That's where I would have transferred my supervised release to if that bill had passed, brother. <laughs> so it, it would have been great. But unfortunately, just because he wouldn't toe the line with something the establishment wanted him to do on something entirely unrelated. Right, yeah, well, typical political stuff. Yeah, yeah, horse trading. Yeah, you fuck me on this. I fuck you on this. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, the party the party left me to some mm -hmm. extent. But what I'm hoping for, but I'm not, I'm not here to be, you know, because I, I think a lot of people would see this and be like, oh, you're just mad because you're going to prison. And, well, you have a right to be. Well, I, I do. I have a 100% right to be. But I would say this to these people. You got to remember that I'm going to prison because I sold weed. And I admit my guilt for it. I take responsibility mm -hmm. for it. And I stand on it. But one of the main reasons that I'm going to prison is I wouldn't fucking rat on anybody, which in the federal system is, <laughs> I mean, that, that is, that is, you know, that's Mickey Mantle rookie card rare. That It just doesn't happen in 2022 where people don't cooperate in some form. And they wanted me to cooperate really, really badly because they wanted that symbolic win of having that guy from the commercial who was kind of this like anti-establishment anti-hero in the community to all the other rebellious people. Uh, he turned into a rat because they could basically, you know, parade that around through the media, let the whisper campaign go out. And I would never do that. It's not, it's not fucking happening. So as I refused to rat closer and closer and closer to sentencing, they got angrier and angrier and angrier. And it got to the point where the memo itself, the context of that was the judge hit the prosecution up and said, I'm not comfortable sentencing this guy to 60 months, which is like unheard of in our jurisdiction. We are a very conservative Western district of PA federal no. jurisdiction, very conservative jurisdiction. It's not like fucking New York or San Fran or whatever. The judge who did this is the same guy who sentenced Tommy Chong to prison time. So this is not a, you know, an Obama appointee judge. This is a 75 year old Vietnam era military veteran. So th this guy, this guy's no fan of me. It's not because he did it because he liked me or he thought the commercial was funny. I bet you he fucking hated well, the commercial it. was great. Right. It was great. It was fucking awesome. I should have said that. I should have been, and I just want to say for the record, the commercial was awesome and we all know it. But <laughs> you know, it, 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 they the so basically what happened was they wanted me to uh safety valve where I would have had to like it's like there's like there's there's different kinds of cooperation. There's full out in the feds, there's full out ratting, which is called uh 5k one, you know, like a where you get a 5k one letter from the prosecutors that says you gave substantial assistance. And that's when like you wear a wire, uh, set people up, or you testify at trial, or you go to the grand jury. So one of the ways, one of the ways O'Donnell 
that you get a coveted 5K1 letter is if you are a federal target and you decide to flip on someone who has not been indicted yet, you go to the secret grand jury and you talk your talk in that room and then the prosecutors give you your golden ticket. It's literally called the golden ticket in, in, in criminal parlance, that 5K1 letter. And you know, it means you're a super fucking rat and it means that you are ready to testify against someone at trial, be it Daniel Music or O'Donnell. So, so, so that's one level of ratting. The other level of ratting, it's, it's not really, you know, it, it's not like that, but it's called a uh, safety valving, which is, it's a way out from the mandatory minimum for first time nonviolent offenders that aren't leaders, managers, or organizers of the conspiracy. And they didn't carry a firearm in furtherance of the crime. So like no violence. And um, when you do that, you don't have to get on the stand against anyone, but you still have to tell them in a closed session, like a proffer, it's called an SVP, a safety valve proffer. You have to tell them like about what happened in the commission of the crime. Um, you know, and, and, and even that to me was anathema. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. So I was stuck on the mandatory minimum. The judge was basically saying, I don't want to give him the mandatory. Is there any way that this guy would safety valve? So after all the bullshit that they put me yeah. through, because I don't you know, remember people listening to this, I guess I should back up real quick. So I was at like my, cause we got into like this political discussion for, for most of this. I was at the it height. To <laughs> right, I, was, I was, I was at the height of my career as a weed dealer. And um, they were investigating a gang that was selling harder drugs in a steel town that was about 15, 20 minutes outside the city. And they were wiretapping them. And a guy who sold weed to them, they wiretapped him. And then a guy who sold weed to them talked into that wiretap and that guy bought weed off of us. So they followed that all the way into the city from there. And they set up on my stash spot and they hit us on the day of the raid for half a million, 469,475 in cash going out and 404 pounds inside the stash house. So they indicted all those guys who got hit with that gang. Like we had no idea that, that they existed. I just knew that a fucking crazy raid happened. I got away on foot somehow that day. I actually <laughs> literally escaped on foot. And then, um, cause it was in Squirrel Hill. It was in my neighborhood. And if you, I, I, you know, I've been running from the cops there since I was an adolescent. So I, I had an inherent natural advantage against predators in my natural surroundings that I've been raised. <laughs> so I made it out that day. And then, you know, this whole, really sad sordid saga unfolded where they indicted that case a couple weeks later federally and then people started flipping on me and um one of the people who got indicted actually killed himself rather he didn't want to talk he didn't want to go to prison 61 year old guy no criminal record father three grandfather of eight he killed himself and i reached out to the prosecutors through my attorneys and said I know that you know that I know that you know who I am, basically. I mean, you know, I, we all know who we are at this point. Can I just plead guilty now and get this the fuck over with and go to prison for the sake of my mom, my wife, myself, whatever? Again, willing to take responsibility for what I did. I didn't ask for a special deal. I didn't ask for any special treatment. I literally just asked to take responsibility. I literally said to save you the cost of an investigation, the grand jury, I will throw myself on the sword. Well, right I don't care what the cost. They have to justify the budget one way or another. Well, 100% because they had been following us. I knew it was costing a lot because they were following us around every fucking time we left our house. I mean, literally, we would go to get groceries, FBI tail. Go to talk to somebody, FBI tail. 
there's cameras just like blooming like ugly metal fruit all over my building like like over my 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 home like on the apartment across the street the lamp post whatever i'm like every day like a new fucking camera like angled towards my house people are calling me at weird hours of the night they want to talk to me about shit we did five, ten years. Like, hey, man, remember we landed that truck from Mendocino, dude? How many pounds <laughs> were there? Like 500, like 600? Whoa, man. You know, on and on and on. You know, I knew what it was. They had handlers. They were running rats at me. So I just wanted to get this shit the fuck over with. So I asked to plead out, and they were like, you can only turn yourself in if you tell. They're like, we're not interested in you just taking responsibility because it was never about that. It was about breaking me for making the commercial. So I, I, they, my lawyer came back and said, well, they're just interested in you coming in to cooperate. They said the door's open if you want to cooperate, but they're not interested in you turning yourself in at this time, but they're going to indict you. And I said, okay, go fuck yourselves. I'm not telling on anybody. I'm going to live my miserable life as best I can with my wife. And we sat there waiting every morning for them to kick our door in for months and months and months. Then COVID happened. And then it got to the point where even where my, and Biden got elected after making those promises. And it got to the point where even my lawyer said, oh, dude, you know, you're, it's been so long. It's just weed, whatever. The next year, two and a half years fucking later, they fucking show up and indict me for that shit. Two and a half years later, they secretly (laughs) indict me via grand jury. And then they show up when I get the indictment. Because when they indict you, again, you know, hopefully you don't have to learn about any of this shit. But I'm just (laughs) giving you a quick primer, Justin, in case this is in your future. You you get indicted secretly. Yours won't be as secret. You'll probably hear about it. But you'll get indicted and you'll go under seal. And then that you don't get arrested the next day, the next week. You might even get arrested the next month. You know, you're just sealed up like like the seventh seal, like like God has written your name in the book of death and you're there for however long they feel like keeping you there. Then they file a motion to unseal. They take it out and they literally unseal it and then they present the indictment and then you know what you've been charged with. So when they unsealed on me and I finally got to turn myself in two and a half years later and four fucking days after they told me I was going to be indicted, they made my ass made me wait for four fucking days before I found out what I was even charged with. Same shit I offered to plead guilty to. to <laughs> exact same charges. Same so shit. You'd, you'd already be halfway through your sentence. I'd be home. Given like the, drug the program, yep. way house, and uh, and some of the stuff they did for COVID. Yeah. I would. I would most likely. I would almost guarantee you. I'd be home by now. Yeah, especially the stuff Trump did too. Like the yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And that, and that's what's so fucking galling to me again, as like a lifelong <laughs> card carrying blue, no matter who, dude. I'm here saying to all, to all your audience, you got me. You fucking win. You're right. This guy was to the left of Biden on criminal justice, First Step Act, CARES Act. But well, he wasn't. Him. That's the crazy part. Is like I'm no fan of Donald Trump. Not either. I fucking but do. I look I look in hindsight at Donald Trump's presidency and like very few issues. Like I tend to be a single issue voter when it comes to the presidency, and that's war. If like an anti-war candidate will be my candidate every time because I, I I think so much of America's issues and the world's issues are due to American foreign policy. Um including a lot of the drug issues in this country are due to American wars in the Middle East bringing heroin back to the country. Um but Donald Trump never campaigned on criminal justice reform, never campaigned on being anti-war, but then got elected and, and started ending wars and made friends with Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and started pushing criminal justice reform because Kim Kardashian asked him to. 
Right. Like, yeah, no, I mean, so someone told me, an activist told me that Trump was actually way easier to deal with than Biden because the process for Trump was, I mean, you basically have to had to give someone a fucking giant bag of cash to get next to him. Not to him, but, <laughs> you know, one of the, one of his like rogues gallery of cartoony yeah. like lunatics around him. You give them a giant bag of cash, which sucks, but it's at least straightforward. You know, you have a goal that yeah. gets you in the room with Trump for 15 minutes. Trump tells you a cool story about where you're from. You're like, oh, you're from Pittsburgh. Let me tell you about Pittsburgh. I went there a few times. Great stakes, like whatever. Then he asks you what you're doing there again. You tell him that you need like, you know, your brother, your son, your husband pardoned, whatever. He literally pulls out his actual fucking phone and just texts his attorney general and says, pardon. What's the spelling? Pardon this guy. Like iPhone goes through. He's like, all right, you guys should be good in like a day or two. Thank you. Okay, I got to go. Bye-bye. Let's take a picture. Bye-bye. Whereas Biden, it's like, there's going to be a board, and then there's going to be eight concurrent fucking levels of review, and the people who put you in jail are going to get to have a say, and then the next group is going to get to have a say, and then you know the, 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 the judge who sentenced you has to weigh in. So the effect when the Democrats do this is like nobody ever fucking gets out of jail. Right. Because again, they 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 continually institutionally empower the people oppressing you. Oh. So it, it never it, and, and they say it's because of fairness and balance. Meanwhile, again, Trump's you know completely anti-democratic and some would say fascist dictatorial style actually got more nonviolent pot people out of fucking jail than Biden has thus far. Far more, uh, because you know zero point zero is an easy fucking number to beat unfortunately sadly 0.0 is an easy number to beat and uh i don't hold out hope for biden coming around because a dementia a dementia ridden alzheimer's patient being asked to take the lead on criminal justice reform and undoing his own legacy because well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing he likes it that's the thing people don't get is that like, like he this is really his legacy and he's actually he doesn't disagree with what he did he has been told by his advisors to kind of rein it in a little bit because like he you know, he was i don't know if you paid that much attention yeah. to who he's running but he was going on those beginning debates be like marijuana is a gateway drug jack you know what i mean and people were yeah. like he's adv- people he was getting like booed basically people are throwing yeah. fucking tomatoes at him his advisors were like joe you can't say that shit so now he just believes it well, well, you know he believes it, and that's the problem. And that, that's one of the things libertarians tried to point out to people on the left, especially like criminal justice advocates and everything during the primary. It's like, vote for Tulsi, vote for Bernie. Like, why would you ever support Biden over Trump? Like, the Biden-Harris ticket is like, somehow the criminal justice reform party of this country elected a corrupt cop and the architect of the prison industrial complex. Yes, that happened. <laughs> Like, now I'm going to federal prison. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. So, well, you have a path to get to prison. You have a path to get out. It's a shitty, long-winded way there. Um, and you have people working to reduce it. Um, honestly, the biggest shock to me is that you did get the mandatory minimum, uh, given your refusal to comply how much you were arrested with. Like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that, um, I think that honestly, again, I think light is disinfectant and I think media coverage that started the positive media coverage, because at first when I kept quiet, all that happened was the baby boomer statist, you know, boomer adjacent media was just teeing the fuck off on me. 
And then I realized that if I started going on podcasts and giving interviews or whatever, that then all of a sudden that changed. And it got to the point where it took me like two months of doing it. And it filtered back in to the criminal justice system where they started seeing that shit. And then, so, so I guess to finish up my thing, they went back to me at the very, very end. And they said, will you safety valve? Because they didn't want, they, they literally, it was because the, they didn't want to lose face because they realized how bad this was going to make them look institutionally. Right. And I had a chance. I could have at the 11th hour safety valve. So to say to anyone, you know, a naysayer, like, oh, you just want to get yourself out of jail, whatever. At the last second, I could have not got myself out of jail, but I could have cut my sentence in half or more. And I literally said for the last time, I was like, okay, number four, go fuck yourselves. Give me my 60 months. I'll take it. And that's when they dropped that crazy sentencing memo because they were so enraged that I refused to bend the knee to them. And I just was this on principle that they were like, well, fuck him. He should get his 60 months anyways. I was like, it's what I said, yo. (laughs) So that's, 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 that's it in a nutshell. I was honestly surprised too. I thought, I mean, when I got indicted, I thought I was looking at like a 12 piece at least. Well, Fortunately, you're not. Thank God you're not, because you didn't do anything wrong in my eyes, because commerce is not a crime. Uh, Victimless crimes should never be punished. That's my opinion. Always have been, always will be. Um, Sad to be seen you go to prison. It's a fascinating story, fascinating tale. Um, For those of you who... Uh, we didn't go too deep into like your actual business history, but everyone, you should check out um, Dan's interview with Thaddeus Russell. Going into that it was really fascinating uh, to listen to and to watch. And if you want to learn more about uh, what's going on with the work for criminal justice reform and the no pardons, no votes movement, check out pardonsnow.com. Um, they got the kickoff coming up in a few weeks. So go sign up for the newsletter, sign up to uh, get, hear more information from them and how you can help out and, you're on the ground in new hampshire pennsylvania one of these states that really matters and makes a difference like especially those of you in new hampshire like ohio pits ohio pennsylvania michigan those states are on like the knife's edge every four years here in new hampshire we're on the knife's edge every six weeks right (laughs) politics matters every couple weeks here in new hampshire where somebody's switching parties and votes matter at the local level so check it out maybe it can make an impact um I still have my concerns about the strategy, but the key thing here is you're doing something. And so many people out there are bitching and complaining and not doing anything. So right. and they're also <laughs> out of the federal prison in six weeks. So give, right. give, so, give, give a guy some credit and go check yeah. out the fucking website. So check out pardonsnow.com. And at least for the next six weeks, you can uh, check out Dan on Twitter at dosnown. Uh, follow him. Give him a follow. Go check out what he has to say. And uh, we didn't bring it up. Listen, I listened to some of your music earlier today on my lunch break. It's not bad. No, not rap. Rap's not my style. I've never been into rap, but I was expecting it to be like really bad, like amateur uh, inner city rap. And it was actually listenable and decent. So thank you. <laughs> go give him a check I, out. I, I, I found your political philosophies to be reasoned and cogent, and not as all, not as repugnant as I as I. Did. <laughs> Hey, well, we so right back when, at you, you, when you come together on an issue where we agree, you can build relationships. A hundred percent, and that's, and that's you know, again, they always talk about reaching across the aisle, Jack. Well, fuck you, man. We're I'm, we're reaching across the aisle right now. The seven different aisles is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> and when you find one, when you find an aisle that shouldn't be there, fill it in. So, until next time, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming on, Dan. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Hit that big red subscribe button. Join the channel, join the Patreon, 
Go get some merch from our sponsors. Get some awesome stuff. And until next time, be free. Thanks again for tuning in and joining us tonight. Make sure you hit that like button and leave a comment below to let us know your thoughts. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that big red subscribe button on YouTube and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live. If you enjoyed this content, you can join our production team on Patreon by following the link in the description. And don't forget to follow on social media and join our community Discord channel by following the links in the description as well. The best part of all of this is the community that we're building and growing. So go ahead and join us. And thanks once again to our awesome sponsors and patrons for making all of this possible. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. So until next time, everybody, be free.